เว้นลมพอชาถูกทะเบล the practice from the period of his youth oh, as a younger monk on Tudong he like many senior teachers indicated that it was a period where he put a lot of effort into keeping the vinaya strictly practicing meditation in a very committed way and he compared the practice in those we say those days or the good old days to eating a delicious spicy curry how when some of those simple curries or dishes that they have in northeast thailand spiced with garlic uh, ginger and chili <coughs> you'd eat them and your mouth would be on fire he would say tears would be streaming but at the same time the taste was delicious so you didn't stop you carried on eating because of the nice taste but you also had to endure the burning sensation in your mouth and the tears that came from from it so he said the practice was like that generally he enjoyed it but it was often hard work and involved a lot of patience endurance and dealing and coping with sometimes physical hardship aches and pains in the body illness lack of requisites and harsh conditions sometimes but he enjoyed it so at the same time as suffering there would be an enjoyment which kept him going he was willing to practice because he could see the benefit of it That's something we have to look into in our own practice. There will definitely be times where we have to endure hardships, both physical and mental hardships, based on our moods and feelings that arise. But we also have to try and find the enjoyment in the practice. Because we do it voluntarily, there has to be something that keeps us going. So we should consciously bring up that reflection and and remind ourselves and look for the wholesome enjoyment in the practice, doing something good for ourselves and for others.
when we come to meditate yeah. over and over again, uh, the instruction is develop mindfulness. And we're developing the Eightfold Path, all the factors together. So often we reduce them all down to develop mindfulness. Because that's where perhaps the intellectual understanding of Buddhism meets with our experience. And we start to know the Dhamma rather than just remember the Dhamma. What happens when we begin to practice mindfulness? <coughs> we put our attention on a meditation object, such as the breath, and very quickly you notice things. We tend towards either feeling there's something missing, we, there's something we want. The mind is not content with the breath in the present moment. It's wanting something else. Or we're experiencing discontent and there's something we've got that we want to get rid of. And so much of our practice is centered around this learning to bring up mindfulness in the midst of our desires, our cravings, our attachments, our wants, and learning to maintain that stability of mind that comes with mindfulness, learning to set aside our delight and aversion for the world. Sometimes it's useful to review the factors of the path to support that practice of mindfulness, to remind ourselves what we're doing, <clears throat> what the Buddha taught. So having established our mind in right view, recollecting the Four Noble Truths, maybe give us some idea of where we're heading, the goal of the practice, and to realize the end of suffering, neuroda, the cessation of our feelings of discontent, stress, and ultimately birth, aging, sickness, and death, to transcend them. familiarize ourselves with that as we come to meditate. We're learning to recognize, understand dukkha, abandon the causes of dukkha, craving, attachment, realize the cessation of dukkha and cultivate the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. There's so much of our experience as we meditate 
we're becoming more familiar with the mind because we're bringing up mindfulness. We're, we're looking at thought and intention. So it's important to review, say, the second factor of the path, samma-sankapa. This experience of being for or against, or wanting something you haven't got, or trying to get rid of something that you have got. You can see it when you're investigating samma-sankapa, right intention, right thought. Samma Sankapa, three main factors, intentions rooted in renunciation, nekama, intentions rooted in non-ill will, apayapada, intentions rooted in non-hatred, non-cruelty, awahingsa. These are the wholesome ways of thinking or intending the mind. Or even our wholesome aspirations, what we aspire to in our thinking, that we're cultivating. The unwholesome is what we're abandoning. So the opposite of renunciation, nekama, is sensual craving, sense desire, karma-raka, karma-danha, ill-will, vayapada, and cruelty, hatred. As we practice more mindfulness, yeah, over and over again becoming familiar with the territory, the landscape of our own mind and recognizing the wholesome and the unwholesome more clearly and learning to practice accordingly. But we also have to think it through sometimes, contemplate, wisely reflect on why, why do we renounce. The practice of Nekama is sometimes given us you know, a shorthand term for our whole lifestyle as bhikkhus. It's a practice of nekama, <clears throat> developing nekama bharami, as well as nekama sankapa. We renounce the world when we come into the robes, and a lot of that means renouncing sensual desire, the means to obtain the objects of sensual desire. We renounce money, we renounce sexual activity, we renounce material, the accumulation of material possessions and seeking after all kinds of pleasant experiences that we may formerly have been engaged in. And we practice nekama, both on the outside through our training in the Vinaya and living in simplicity 
and then on the inside, the actual abandoning of sensual desire. So we have to review that. Why do we do that? It seems like hardship. As Ajahn Chah was saying, it's, it's, it can be suffering when you're living in simplicity, keeping celibate, not seemingly pursuing some of the happiness and pleasure that the world has to offer, like other people. It's natural those desires will come up. Maybe longing for previous experiences we've had, or seeing other people wishing to be like them, or fantasizing, imagining different kinds of pleasure. So we have to investigate why do we renounce? Well, even though it's often hard in the beginning to renounce, something you get used to, it's something you have to put up with because you're going against the stream of your desire. There's a long-term goal there, freedom. We're practicing from, for freedom from craving and attachment. And to attain that, well, we have to practice letting go, renunciation. <clears throat> from the coarse through to the very refined. So on the coarsest level, we, we let go of the kind of sense desire that leads us, leads us to act in immoral and unwholesome ways, break precepts, harm others and so on. But then we move through to the more subtle, just the more normal sense desires that arise for human beings based on the desire for experiencing pleasant sights, pleasant sounds, taste, smell, touch, and ideas and concepts. It's getting the right intention to renounce, established in our way of thinking, our approach, our attitude to training the mind, <clears throat> recognizing that we have been trapped by our desires in the past, not free, not peaceful, discontent, because we're always seeking after something not feeling peaceful in the present moment, feeling that there should be something else that will make us happy. We become familiar with this way of bringing up nekama sankapa, abandoning sense desire, abandoning the unwholesome, cultivating the wholesome, as the Buddha taught. Even as we develop our practice, the more subtle kinds of desire can come up based on pleasant experiences even in meditation, the desire to experience pity and sukha, what we might call a good meditation, the desire to have more refined states of mind, the more subtle pleasures that come through meditation. Going beyond that, so the, the subtle pleasures and the attachment to the rupajanas and the arupajanas even, eventually have to be abandoned, relinquished. <coughs> but this is a, the flavor of our practice. We're constantly learning to renounce, let go, relinquish, 
from the coarse through to the refined. So that the arahant experiencing nibbana has relinquished every every form of desire to be born in any kind of realm or any kind of mental experience that we might think up desire or consciousness might wish to settle on the arahant has relinquished them all because they're still limited there's still a cause for more attachment where there's attachment there's suffering if we train in nekama sankapa from the outset in our practice <clears throat> it becomes a good a skillful habit learning to look and see the danger in desire and the ob- chasing after the objects of desire first of all understanding desire as as it is recognizing it then seeing the danger in it the harm that comes the lack of peace the lack of contentment and then looking for the way out the escape from it we're aiming to develop the wisdom that sees through the delusion the tricks and the delusions of sense desire and to see the harm that comes when we fall into sense desire so it becomes clear to the mind as the buddha compared like it's like your your robes are on fire when sense desire arises if your robes were really on fire you'd quickly put the the fire out you should have that attitude sense desire is something to be extinguished abandoned quickly because it harms the mind takes away our peace and it's conditioning the mind it's unwholesome so it's conditioning the mind towards more suffering has to be abandoned quickly recognized abandoned quickly this is the development of samasankapa <coughs> cultivating contentment actually to learn to enjoy abandoning sense desire to take pleasure in it you are more refined spiritual kind of pleasure and the vasa time it's a good time to really experiment with that various external pleasures or indulgences we sometimes have to see where we can learn to abandon often we experiment with f- food the amount of food we eat the kind of food we eat the pleasure we take in sleep pleasure in socializing and so on in these areas you can experiment to look and see where your habit is towards sense desire and where you can practice just abandoning on the outside or internally you're learning to particularly 
the very sharp in recognizing sense desire as it arises and turning away from it quickly as a practice. We've heard some of the stories of Lumpur Char or his contemporaries. Remember one monk, as he came down from his kuti in the morning towards the eating hall, he said if in the morning prior to Bindabhata, he found his mind dwelling on the anticipation of what food may be offered, delighting in the thought, I'm going to eat my meal, what may, what kinds of food they might bring today, that kind of thinking, sense desire, sense desire coming up, and then he'd turn around and go back to his kuti. He'd fast for the day to teach himself to let go of sense desire. Or another monk on the composer <clears throat> day, the observance day with the all night sitting, if he allowed himself to indulge in sleepiness, that means when sleepiness arose, he just let himself sit there indulging in it. He wouldn't eat the next day to teach himself not to do that because he saw it was a, a weakness. Sometimes people can be very, take on these kind of drastic, quite strict practices for a period of time just to teach themselves, to be, heighten their awareness, to become sharper at observing sense desire. Or Lumpur Cha famously for one Vasa refused to look at any women, taught himself because he could see it was a basis for lust. What is the most, the strongest sense desire we have? The lust based around form. This body and the body of others. So he wouldn't let himself look at a woman for three months. Just keep his eyes cast down, turned away. To teach himself not to indulge in the desire to look He reflected on that, that that alone wasn't enough to cut off lust, but it was a very determined kind of practice that trained him well. It wasn't without merits, even though it wasn't yet cutting off the roots of his lust. And sometimes we have to learn these kind of skills, how to be able to abandon sense desire as it's arising sometimes literally to turn away from the object of the desire or to say no in certain situations may not yet be the complete abandoning of sense desire but it's giving us a certain strength freedom of mind giving sometimes monks practice giving away particular requisites that they've become attached to when they notice that how they take pleasure in a certain requisite and they know it just to teach themselves they give it away to another bhikkhu or in the seeking of requisites sometimes we have people offer us make puana, make offers or 
family are willing to buy us things if we need. You know, Lumpur Cha said, even if your family makes an offer, don't take it up. Teach yourself just to let go and make do with what you've got, what you can find. So what's available in the store or around. When I first became a monk, I tried to practice this. So I mean, at one time, I, my cup was a piece of bamboo because that's what Lumpur Cha had said. He said, if you haven't got a cup, just go and get a piece of bamboo and cut it, and it will hold water inside. So for a while, I had to do make use with that because I didn't want to ask for a cup. I had no funds, no supporters. After many months, somebody took pity on me and gave me a very dirty plastic cup from the kitchen, which wasn't much better, but it was useful in the Dhamma, just to let go of the desire. In those days, it was a desire for us to have a stainless steel mug. They were new on the scene, so everybody wanted one. So it was actually many years before I acquired one, It might seem just a small, insignificant practice, but when you're teaching yourself, sometimes these small gestures and practices can be quite powerful over time. Learning to turn away or renounce sense desire. And one of the reasons we come to be monks, we're practicing nekama, because we've seen the harm of attachment to the sensual realm. We've had jobs, we've been earning money, we've been caught into constantly seeking to accumulate more wealth. We've had relationships and seen the suffering of them, seen the suffering of family life, attachment to parents and relatives and friends. We've had some insight into that, and we're willing to go forth to renounce the world as monks. But we have to build on it, that initial renunciation, because it's still rooted deeply in the mind. We have to keep practicing. So as you practice meditation, notice, sense desire as it comes up. Become sharper, clearer, recognize it. And when be clear, when you follow a thought, an intention, even if it's just mental indulgence, when you follow a thought of sense-desire, this is unwholesome karma. It's going away from the path, away from the way the Buddha taught. When we develop renunciation and we renounce that thought, that intention, we're practicing what the Buddha taught. We're cultivating the path. The result is contentment, inner contentment, sense of well-being, being at ease, freedom from always being a slave to desire. And this is a huge supporting factor in developing states of calm and deepening our wisdom through the practice. And when we chant the Dhamma Chakra Sutta, 
You have that phrase, tatra tatra binandini, delighting now, here, now, there. And this is the nature of craving. The mind is constantly flitting, moving around from this thing to another, from one idea to the next, one desire to the next. We've been trapped in that way of thinking for so long. So now we're developing Samma Sankapa. Reflecting on impermanence helps renunciation. And the impermanence of that pleasure that we get from the desire, the object of desire. And nothing lasts, since pleasures don't last. <clears throat> Becoming increasingly aware of that, so then when we're mindful of impermanence, the mind tires of constantly seeking the next bit of pleasure. It's the desire that we're renouncing. So of course there'll be plenty of times when we experience something pleasurable but don't necessarily fall into desire. We still have to eat, we live in the world, <clears throat> there are pleasant experiences we have. But we're focusing on desire when it arises. Watching that and changing the direction of our thinking. And you'll notice there's plenty of times in your day when you're not bothered by sense-desire. The mind is content. And when you absorb into a, the breath in meditation, or you're doing a chore, you're walking, or you're listening to Dhamma or reading some Dhamma, there's plenty of times where sense-desire goes quiet. <clears throat> and to be aware of that, appreciate those times Get used to noticing when sense-desire is, is absent. You've let it go. Either because you've consciously let it go or it just isn't arising. And appreciate that. The Buddha encouraged us to reflect on Sammasankapa because we're looking at where our mind inclines over time through repeated conditioning. If you become more and more aware of Nekama Sankapa, relinquishing sense desire, appreciating when it's not present, your mind is inclining towards contentment, peace, non-grasping, non-desiring, non-wanting. Similarly with the other two factors, non-ill-will, non-hatred. These are qualities we're developing through our thoughts, our intention, wise reflection. We're inclining towards non-ill-will through developing. It's a developing metta on a, de on a daily basis. It's one of the daily meditations the Buddha recommends for us. It's not only a meditation, it's a, a way of life, cultivating kindness, goodwill. 
in our thoughts, our speech, our actions, to counter the tendency towards ill will. And when ill will does arise, again being very sharp, recognizing this is unwholesome thinking, this is a cause of suffering, this is to be abandoned. And even if it takes time to abandon it, at least having that understanding and working, working by seeing, again, seeing the harm, seeing the danger of it, until your mind is willing to let go of it. The cultivation of the Brahma-viharas, which all come out of metta, is the direct forerunner of samadhi. And when we, we're all meditating, seeking to develop states of calm and insight, if there's no Brahma-viharas being developed, it's very unlikely that you'll develop deep states of calm. These are our teachers, and when Ill, Ill will arises in different situations, however small or great, you know, it's your teacher, and it's your prompt to cultivate, letting go, develop the metta, the acceptance, the tolerance in that situation. Even if no one else is involved, we're suffering on our own when ill will takes over the mind. Recognize that. It's an unwholesome way of thinking. It leads to our suffering. It's to be abandoned. Cultivate goodwill. And sometimes we forget how we can do this because we're living a lot of the time on our own, quietly in the monastery, in the forest. It's really an attitude that you bring up to train your mind. You can develop goodwill towards fellow creatures, animals, to people far and wide. Even if you're not meeting anyone, you can still develop thoughts of goodwill towards others. And even in just the daily tasks we do, you know, some of the associated qualities of goodwill are Gratitude, appreciation, kindness in all its many forms. Just cleaning a kuti, doing a chore. You, you can do it with an attitude of goodwill towards fellow monastics, towards the laity who support and provide the funds and the support for the monastery. This is where we are learning. How often do we get caught into negativity when we do a chore? Maybe we feel it's something we're doing for somebody else and we feel resentment. We feel we're the only one who does the chore, no one else does it, and so on. How often do we get caught into the complaining negative mind? That's where we have to practice. That's to be abandoned. It's micha sankapa. Michā-sankhapa comes from michā-ditti. When we're deluded, we think sense pleasures will bring us our happiness, 
and we're willing to commit to that rather than the happiness of renunciation. Ill will, we think, is correct to think like that. There's some reason, some excuse we have to complain or get caught into negativity or find fault with someone else. But it's coming from wrong view. Micha ditis conditions micha sankapa. Having enough understanding to recognize that. Take responsibility for your own state of mind. Teach yourself to let go. Calm the mind down. Bring up tolerance, patience and goodwill. This is where we get a lot of our enjoyment in the practice. Even if we are experiencing physical hardship, say some pain, discomfort, hardships from weather, from going without certain things. If the goodwill is there, it can still be very enjoyable. Remember when I was my second or first year as a monk, I went to stay with Lumpukun. Napo, a very poor branch monastery. And I was a, a vegetarian, so I didn't eat meat, and most of the food offered other than rice was meat dishes. And I was, for the Vasa, I was practicing eating just what I got in my bowl from Armstrong in the village. And the village was very poor, so there wasn't much food. And one day, one lady came out clearly with a lot of faith and keen to help the western monks and she put a whole stack of barbecued frogs in my bowl on sticks that had been grilled over a fire. She obviously meant well, didn't know I was a vegetarian so I took them back to my kuti because I was eating at my kuti and there was always a dog hanging around to eat the leftovers because I was eating at my kuti. So that day I had to give the all the barbecued frogs, which is all I got other than rice, to the dog and watch him really enjoying it while I ate my plain rice. But just the goodwill of sharing the meal with the dog, far the happiness of that far outweighed the the feeling of not getting enough food or not getting what I wanted. And that's something we have to keep appreciating over and over. And with, when you reflect on Sama Sankapa, you can see a lot of our happiness is spiritual happiness. It's not coming from getting what you want, being where you want to be, doing what you want to do all the time. It's something much more subtle that comes in internally when Sama Sankapa arises, goodwill for others, even if it's an animal, it brightens the mind, makes the mind happier. Ill will darkens the mind, makes the mind more miserable. Sense desire agitates the mind, feeds discontent. Renunciation quietens the mind, again brings up the sense of brightness fullness, completeness. Non-hatred's the same. There are times in our life where people 
maybe annoy us or even hurt us. Not usually physically, but verbally, or just our perception is that they don't wish us well, feel like they're abusing us in some way. Sometimes lay people, non-Buddhists, sometimes people we live with, moments of anger displayed can bring up hatred in us where we want to get back at them. So again, having that sharpness to recognize hatred for what it is. An unwholesome mental state that we have to take responsibility for and learn to curb, let go of as quickly as we can, just as quick as if you you dropped a lighted match on your robe and it started to flare up, you quickly put it out. As quick as we can, we have to learn to drop that feeling of hatred or wanting to get at someone, punish them, get back at them, even if they have done something to hurt us. This is what the world expects from a Buddhist monk, non-hatred, non-cruelty and karuna, compassion, empathy for others. It's not always there, but it's something we're cultivating. And particularly at those moments when we're tested or tempted to fall into aversion, usually it's through speech. You want to get back at someone, say something negative to their face, behind their back. But also in our behavior, maybe you want to get at someone Sometimes you see it, somebody's angry with another, so they put something down very hard on a floor or on a table. They do some (coughs) action that indicates their displeasure. These are the moments to bring up ahimsa, compassion, be sensitive to others, even if you are fuming yourself. Learn not to take it out on others. Because we're all the same. Every last person in this world wants to be happy. Everybody in this world doesn't want to suffer. Sama Sankapa here, you're thinking this through. Non-cruelty, so it brings up compassion. Recognition of other people's suffering. If they are behaving badly or wrong in some way, well, there's reasons for that. And when you bring up compassion, then you're more understanding of those reasons and less angry with them. Often that person may be under strain of one reason or another. It's their kalesas, of course, but their kalesas are coming up strongly for them. Maybe it's led them to behave badly or wrongly. As you're training in Samasankapa, you're thinking this through. You're announcing the intention to hurt, bite back, get back at. And this naturally frees the mind to understand how that person is more, see things from their point of view. It's always a pleasure when you're around 
well-practiced senior monks who have obviously cultivated Sama Sankapa to a refined degree. And there may be somebody who is acting inappropriately or even directly harming them in some way. And how often they can, they just shrug it off and just say, oh, he's angry. Oh, his kilesas are coming up strongly today. And they don't dwell on it and they don't think of getting the person back because they know it only hurts themselves and doesn't do that person any good. The compassion is established. It's always nice to see it in the moment. It's one of the values of having Kalyana Mitta. When you see compassion practiced at a time where they may be tempted to punish or get back at the person, but they don't. They're just quiet, equanimous, or maybe occasionally even think of something skillful to do to help that person, the very person who's hurting them. When you train in compassion, then again, it's something you take enjoyment in, you delight in compassion. So then it's easier to let go of the opposite, the hatred, the ill will, the negativity. So all three of these practices, that's where on a daily basis a lot of the initial enjoyment in the practice comes from. Later on they develop into samadhi, they're the forerunner or the groundwork for samadhi, where we experience even more peace and happiness. But we're not always in deep states of samadhi. A lot of the time we're just living normally, operating as human beings, living in a community, living as monks, interacting with the world. The samasankapa is vital to preserve the wholesome states of mind. Another area the Buddha said we develop samasankapa when our fellow bhikkhus are sick. And we don't, as he said, we don't have parents here to look after us. We look after each other with compassion. You notice, say, if you're living in a monastery, maybe there's some monk you don't particularly like or get on with. Then they fall sick. And do you want to help them out? You just try and ignore them almost as a way of getting back at them. The Buddha said we can't do that. We, we actually should help them. It's a very good way to bring people together to go against the mitya sankapa of cruelty or hatred. When you help somebody you don't like, when they need help, so maybe when they're sick or in, have some other need, that's the time to to train yourself in compassion. I remember living with Lumpur Anand many times, monks who, because he has a big sangha, not, not everyone in the sangha was always so polite or respectful to him. Most monks were most of the time. Occasionally he had some stubborn ones. I never once saw him 
turn away if a monk was ill or in need of some help. You'd always help them. And I've even heard other monks complain to him. They say, why do you help that monk? He's been so rotten to you. <laughs> you just do it because it's samasankapa. It's the right thing to do. The right way to think, the right intention leads on to the right action. And this is how a cultivated mind operates. And this is often where we can gain real progress in our Dhamma when we're willing to drop aversion, ill will, or drop sense desire in the moment, abandon the unwholesome and cultivate the wholesome. And the more we, more we see the value of it, well, the easier it becomes. Because we know it's the right thing to do. It's for our own long-lasting benefit and for the benefit of others, which is the purpose of our practice. Oh, tonight, I'm giving you a few thoughts on the theme of Samaya Sankapa. I'll leave them with you and we can carry on meditating. <laughs> 